ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with me, David Grubb, and joining me is my brother from another, the one and only impatient bull, Chris Connor, from the Bird Rights, from Twitter Spaces for the Pelicans, and so many other things. Chris, man, it's always a pleasure when we get to chop it up. Hey, man, I'm I'm honored and happy, and um, anytime, you know, I get this call, man, you want me on hard in the, in the paint, man, so I definitely appreciate it, and, you know, Anytime. And it's it's so funny um, because you kind of like have taken over this space in the social media area of being the master of the Tw- Pelicans Twitter space post games. And that and, and it's uh, been like this big change for Pelicans Twitter, Pelican, for Pelicans fans. It's this year, the engagement level on a week to week, night to night basis is as high as I've seen it in my years covering the team. So I, man, like, um, you know, it just, it just feels like a, you know, a culmination of just a bunch of things just um, falling together, I guess, at the right time. Right. Um, you know, if if anything, you know, so many people, I think, attached Pelicans fans interest to whether or not, you know, Zion's future, Zion playing, whether he was going to, you know, if he was going to be out for the year, you know, just his availability for a lot of people. Um, you know, was going to determine how active the fan base was. And it, it's been the opposite, right? Um, and I'm with you. I mean, and, you know, I see it, I see it creeping up, you know, and it's funny because, you know, today, every, every, every year the Saints season ends, it's always a tweet that someone puts out. Okay, so for, for, for those of New Orleans that haven't watched the Pelicans game, here's what, here's what you need to know to keep you up now that you're going to be interested. But, Man, like the fan base has been riding, man. And, um, you know, I, I'm happy to be a part of it. And, you know, I know that people have, you know, have mentioned how much the spaces have helped. But even without it, you just you can just feel like more and more, even those solo Pelicans fans that you didn't even know existed. They're riding with the team. And some of that has to do with what we'll talk about, the personality that this team is taking on, the head coach. Um, I think more and more you're slowly starting to see something or a, a team at least, I don't know about the organization, but a team that is giving the city something that they can believe and relate to. And it's just, it's helping everybody that's a part of this from myself to you, anybody that wants to talk about this team. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's taken root in a way that is not individual player centric. And I think that's what people have characterized Pelicans fans as is like, Oh, you're driven by a star player. You're following the star player. The discussion about the Pelicans has gotten so much deeper over this past year as to people starting to try. And and look, there are varying levels of acumen as we see um, in these discussions, but at the very least, more people are asking questions about up and down the roster. It's not about, just the star names that everybody should know. People are getting into the nuance of the seventh man, the ninth man, the 11th man on this roster, the the two-way contracts. Those conversations are being held, and that is so much more interesting for guys like me and you who want to go through 
all of that and not just focus on the one or two stars that you could talk about any night. And that's been, you know, that's been one of the biggest differences between, you know, a portion of, um, you know, Pelicans fans, people that people that, that that pay close enough or pay attention to what's going on with the Pelicans and those that do with the Saints. You know, we want to, um, you know, we always have to be honest with ourselves about it being a divide in the city for so long, you know, with just, you know, the ultimate, um, you know, attention, but the attention to detail. And that matters so much because you get a chance, like a guy like Herb Jones, right? Like, even if somebody, like, you just can't, you can't just look at a box score and be able to tell his impact. You got to watch the game or you have to be, you have to be in tune enough to even if you if you miss the game, you're keeping up with like you're intrigued. You want to know who he is. And it's important because now you see Herb Jones, Herb Jones jerseys. Right. People were demanding if it wasn't in the pro shop. Yo, why aren't there any Herb Jones jerseys? You would have never gotten that years ago. You know what I'm saying? And look, not for a team that was 14 and 25. You know, now now when they make the playoffs, then, yeah, it's different then because a lot of people could jump on the bandwagon and people are asking questions about, you know, the, the Quincy Pondexes of the world and, you know, Ian Clarks or whatever. But that's what's most interesting to me, Grub. The engagement is high for a team that is still inconsistent, still have a bunch of things that they're battling night to night and are 11, 12 games under 500 playing. No matter how many games they're behind in the play-in, doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter you would think that this team's record is a lot better than it is and sometimes i forget just how by just interested i see people day in and day out and some i thought maybe you know on twitter i thought maybe they they would just say i i have no idea some of these people were as passionate as they were coming into this year so um something's definitely changing and, and it's exciting um, i'm enjoying that part of it but like you said, the hard reality is this team is 14 and 26. Tomorrow's the official midpoint for the Pelicans um, of their season. They'll be at 41 games. And let's they're on pace essentially for 28 to 30 wins uh, right now, which would be percentage-wise worse than they did each of the previous two seasons. Um, but given that premise, I think that there are so many ways we have to look at this season. There's the part of it where we have to talk about the practical pursuit of the 10 spot. And in that hunt, they're right there. Because if you look at the nine and 10 teams, they're on pace for 30 to 31 wins. So you're right there. That part, okay, you're playing for that. The second part is the overall development of this team. What direction do they look like they're headed? And then, of course, the big third part, Design Williamson story and what his future is. But let's take the practical part per first 14 to 26, but only a couple games out of the play in um, at this stage. Considering what's going on up to game 40, what's your thought of where the, the season has progressed? Um, I mean, look, there was a period of time in this year, even when Brandon Ingram was healthy, where you just, I didn't think they would, I didn't think we would, we would be here. I, I didn't see a team that would have 14 wins right now, you know? Um, so everything considered, and you look at the teams that, you know, you look at a team like San Antonio, right? Um, they had periods in, you know, throughout the year when they were upright and they were healthy and COVID wasn't affecting them where they were playing decent basketball. But um, you don't really know their future 100%, right? You know, certain guys have made, you know, have made leaps. DeJounte Murray looks 
um, like he has beyond star potential to me with his ability to affect the game on both sides of the ball. And, and you know, he's making gradual improvements, but still, is he, you know, is he the guy that they're building through? I don't think that that's clear yet. Um, and there's some guys in, in their backcourt that will probably be gone very soon, whether it be via trade or, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, Sacramento, for the most part, fully, they've, they've been able to, to be healthy, right? But it's still some indecision. De'Aaron Fox doesn't look like, you know, he's going to be a part of their future. Um, so, I mean, you look at the teams that the neighbor around, Portland, right? You know, we're hearing things every day about Dame and loyalty and so on and so forth. And then he may, I mean, just physically, he might not be able to play for a, a year. Like, they're right. saying it could be as much as a year before he's back on the court. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's what's interesting, and it's going to lead into our next con- well, into our future, our, our future conversation about how they should, you know, approach going forward. But um, for a team that has missed a, the guy in which the basketball squad is built around, the basketball roster is built around, for them to be in this position, especially how they started, with with the with the chatter with the you know with the new coach with you know um injuries with everything that they've had to deal with um it's actually pretty pretty remarkable to where to where we get to look at okay we're starting to realize the quote unquote identity right and even and for years even when the team had had you know a year where they were good where they did make the playoffs Night, it it didn't feel like this to me. It didn't feel this organic, right? It didn't feel this like they got it out of hell. They got it out the mud. They worked for this. Some cases, things just broke right in their direction or or in their favor, right? But this feels like they are desperately working hard for it together as a team. And it's one of the first times in which I've been a well, I won't say it's one of the first times, but I can't count many times in my history of being a fan observer or being being a part of um, this team's journey since they moved since New Orleans got uh, or returned to, um, you know, as a basketball city that I've been able to see something like this. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is, you know, in a lot of ways remarkable because through it, you've been able to see, you know, the growth of a guy like Brandon Eager, which the action consistently is starting to match what we've heard him say. You and I have talked about it, you know, a lot over the past few years, right? You get a chance to see guys, you know, uh, that we that that you've been begging for, you've been begging for for a player like Herb Jones, where you got one, and even through Trey Murphy's struggles, and you know, I mean, um, and the the hole in the backcourt, and Jackson, and and the kill, not you're still seeing other guys come in, and you get a chance to watch a coach like Willie Green. Um, you get a chance to watch players really stand behind this man and you get to watch him grow. It's just, it's a lot of things that underneath the surface that are very important and that are very interesting to pay attention to with this team. So 14 and 25, 14 and 26, everything considered when they don't have that guy, who's a big, big portion of what you wanted or what you were expecting with this team. I mean, there's some people that might tell you what Zion expected this team to be, this, you know, to be 14 and 26. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, everything right now is just optimistic. That's how I look at it. The way I see it is this. Um, there, there are two things that I'm really enjoying out of this team. 
number one is like you said the identity part and, and it being organic i think is something that you you have to to emphasize here because when you see cultures arrive whether it's golden state with steph clay and draymond coming on at the same time and seeing in each other okay we're the guys like that you identify that amongst yourselves the coaching staff didn't have to tell them that like yeah you get the boost of mark jackson saying i got the greatest short shooting backcourt of all time but draymond he wasn't his guy Remember, Draymond wasn't his guy. They figured that out amongst themselves. Who's going to fill out what role? When you look at a team, like even when Miami had to figure it out, it wasn't necessarily organic, but those guys knew each other. LeBron, Dwayne, they figured it out themselves with the assistance of the coach. When you have a culture like San Antonio, it's finding those guys who understand it as those pieces around it change. Milwaukee, Giannis and Chris Middleton are the gatekeepers of that culture. Everybody else comes and got to fit into it. That's why Drew Holiday is seamless in that because Drew is just here to to fit in anyway. Mm -hmm. So the Pelicans are trying to get that. That's what we've been asking for. You had that with Chris Paul and David West, two guys who came in and said, yep, we're the same. We're dogs. Then you find Tyson Chandler, you say, oh, this dude's going to do dog work too? Okay, we're, we're the guys. And that's what the Crescent City connection becomes. And then it evolves and you're on the same page with Byron Scott and you have that culture being built. You see that same thing with Willie Green finding his extensions on the court. And you'd want it to be Brandon Ingram. You'd want it to be Zion. But it feels like the firstborn son of Willie Green is Herb Jones. And we'll get into that. But but, but definitely B.I. this season has grown into a more than an all-star. I think an all-star is a, a really low bar because all-star is about voting and stats. This superstar is a player that when you put them on their team, they impact winning and losing. B.I. doesn't have all the pieces yet, but this year I feel like his numbers on a night-to-night basis, even though they don't look incredibly different from what he's done the last two years, are more impactful over the course of the game when he gets his assists, when he gets his rebounds, when he attacks the basket, when he uh, pulls up for his jumpers, when he decides to shoot his threes. All of those things have been far more judicious. And we're on the one-year anniversary, and I saw this in my, my, my Facebook thing today, of when B.I. said at the press conference, I'm going to go out and bust everybody's ass. And we didn't see that last year. He didn't turn that level on. This year, it feels like he came back from that injury, from the Achilles. It took him his two days, two games to get his legs under him. And then it was back to a dude attacking the rim in ways that we had not seen it from him in years past setting up in that mid post like we have been begging him to do in, 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 and knowing where his spots on the floor are. He knows his eight to nine spots to score from on the court every night. He's willing to give it up like he was to Devontae Graham, like he has been in transition. You see the two-handed passes. You see crisp, quick decisions. He's not pounding the ball into the ground. That kind of growth I don't think happens under anybody else so that, to me, I give that credit to Willie because Willie, ultimately, the thing that you find with him, and I think this is the thing about any great coach, your principles are static. They do not change. But yep. your approach is permeable. What mm-hmm. do I need these guys to have today? What do they need today? And Willie adjusts from day to day to what his team needs. And I, I give him so much credit for that, even as he deals with a roster that is still far from complete calculated man um i you know he's while calculating he's bold you know like 
I, I mean, I, I one of the like one of the biggest, you know, to me statements that you got a chance to see about Willie. Um, and it also led led to Herb is that you go from one game of him not playing a minute to open the season against Philly the next night. Not only are you going to play, sir, you're going to start. Cool. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll start. Some people start and play 10, 15 minutes, 19 minutes. <laughs> we want you to guard one of the best isolation basketball players in the world, Zach Levine. And I trust you to do it. Like, uh, you know, um, there's so many things about and You know, you mentioned Brandon. Um, but there's something that Josh Hart, Josh Hart, any chance he has this year, he is letting people know for the lack of better, you know, of, of, of me explaining it, basically like Willie Green helped save my basketball sanity in a sense. He gave, he talks about Willie like Willie um, is some type of religious figure. Yeah. And this is coming from a guy who, since we've known him of his personality, is doesn't need anybody behind him to to go out and get it to go hustle that's what we that's what we associate him with his ability to hustle for so long right except this year now we're talking about a guy who's just a better basketball player he looks to be more he looks to be enjoying the intricate parts of the game and the way because leaders leaders are supposed to empower people and that's something about willie that i think day one matters that we haven't seen to this level of the combination of being able to empower somebody and communicate to not just them but to others why this is happening it's very important for this team it's very important for any type of you know establishment where there's some type of hierarchy and sure there's a relatability there that Willie you know can can um can bring with him across the board from from his playing days from coaching um, you know, being a part of, you know, some other great faces and leaders and players. And um, there's a lot of different things he can take from and be able to translate it in a way to make sense to Hoopers, surely. But the empowerment is something totally different. And there's no ego involved. He doesn't care about whether whether or not he's the reason that something gets done. He doesn't care about if his name gets mentioned for, you know, uh, you know the overall recognition. It's, I want to help this individual be just better. That's it. And you see it in Josh Hart in the in the player that he's been. Yo, these these guys have had to work on their. I'm not saying that they haven't worked on their games. You can tell that they have. You can tell some, you know, some changes like just Josh Hart's jump shot. Uh, you know, with that corner shot that used to be leaning and wasn't it and wasn't balanced consistently. Even his finishing more up and down. Yeah. Even his finish, he's gotten softer with his finish so that it, like there were those mm-hmm. layups that he would miss at full speed. He's, yep. he's finishing, he's changing his angles on his layups. He's using the glass better. Yep. Like, I, yep. I, again, I have to say it every time I mention his name. I'm sorry for doubting you, Josh Hart. I apologize. I thought you had plateaued. You clearly had not. <laughs> you showing everybody that you got levels to this. So continue to elevate, brother. Continue. And look, you know, and, you know, and which is why anytime I hear someone questioning, like, well, why isn't Trey Murphy playing right now? Could Can he deserve, you know, does he, why is he? isn't he getting these minutes? Why, you know, are we giving minutes to, you know, Sadoransky or, you know, whoever, whoever comes up in the rotation at one point, it was Garrett Temple who's been playing, who's been playing much better basketball the last few weeks. Didn't have a good night against Toronto, but 
Um, I, even while wanting to see Trey, and we will, um, and even while understanding some of the basketball situ, you know, the basketball perspective behind that, some pointing towards Trey as an individual, and some pointing at what's going, what roster availability is going to bring the best out of him. I'm not questioning Willie because to be able to make that decision on her, to be able to pull Brandon Ingram to the side. And, and, and it's no, it's no coincidence that we're seeing this to me out of Brandon and Josh at the same time, being able to, to, to pull Jonas to the side one, one minute and say, Hey man, I know, you know, yo, shoot the ball, bro. Like, and then, and then we go see him have a career high shoot, you know, uh, you know, from three, a career high night period on the road to beat the Clippers team that had Paul George, right. Um, you know, available that night, you know, and playing pretty well, um, you know, Devontae Graham, you know, the continuing to holding on, yo, Garrett sad, saddle. I know you guys are struggling, but I've been there. I need you guys to continue to come out. We need you. You get a night from Garrett Temple where they don't beat a Cleveland team. Right. Without B.I. Um, and company, without Garrett's performance, even if it's just for one game, that win could could be very important for them at the end of the year. We don't know. They mm-hmm. don't get that win without a guy like Willie. So, I mean, we talk a lot about these players and we talk a lot about, you know, you know, the draft picks and the front office's failures and successes. We need to talk more about Willie um, than I think we are. And. I mean, what. He's just been such a blessing, man, to the city, this organization, and to this team. And we, you know, I just I can't say enough good things about what he's what he's been able to do along with the rest of uh, you know some of the other pleasant surprises. And you have to give credit to the staff in general because you've seen yeah now with uh, Coach Teresa Witherspoon being considered for a WNBA head coaching job, but on a nightly basis when this team talks about why they're so prepared for their opponent defensively. It's because Spoon did the, 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 the scouting job. You know, that's been the one. Every time is a big win, how'd you get this? Spoon, Spoon. Mm. And then you talk about Fred Vincent, who, yeah, you gave him the reputation as the shot doctor, but Fred Vincent is the defensive coordinator for this basketball team. And this is a team that go. has gone from bottom three defensively to middle of the pack. And it's still, again, you can't name four quality defenders on this roster, but you've gotten guys to at least be better team defenders and to get more out of these guys than you would individually. So give Fred Vincent that credit. You give the, the rest of that coaching staff from, you know, their, their kudos as well. Cause Willie, again, as a, as a first year coach or rookie coach, head coach, he's got to have good assistants around him to help him in, in grow in those situations and say, Hey, this is what we're seeing too. And you can clearly see that there is a trust between the players, the sideline staff and Willie and his staff to say things to each other because you see it in timeouts. There is a clear interaction that's going on. It's not really stepping away saying, y'all talk to them and then I'm going to come in. There's a lot of collaboration being done on a nightly basis. And, you know, um, you know, I think that that's, that adds to some of the qualities that we, you know, that you can tell about Willie. He, he adapts and he learns. He learns from, from his past situations, right? Look at, the, look at the last two places that he came from. Right with Phoenix and Golden State, you look across those those sidelines. There are a lot of familiar faces. Always, those he doesn't have to be, or he realizes that I don't have to be, nor am I 
going to be the smartest guy in the room. We got to do this together. So you look at Golden State and you look at guys like Mike Brown, you know, you know, who spent time there and Willie, you know, of course, um, you know, in Phoenix, Monty always is adding, has been able to add just smart basketball minds. And it doesn't matter. You may not even know exactly 100 percent what their role is consistently, but, you know, you watch him. He's going to them for advice, for help, because he knows that he's not going to always make the right call, the right decision. Like, it's just, you know, you want to talk about a quote unquote, you know, uh, you know, family or whatever you want to associate with these teams, with these organizations. Being able to walk into a room where you are, quote unquote, the guy and make sure and I, I mean i spoke about it already and how he empowers people that also leads to coaches that all you know that also leads to i i don't remember if it was you or somebody you know somebody told me i think it was i think it was ad actually ad told me that you know for the first i think it was the first day in training camp he let the assistant coaches run practice you know like stuff like that you just don't hear about all the time he wants these people to be better be great have opportunities beyond him um, because he knows the better that, you know, the better that they get, the more improved that they are, the, you know, the, you know, the overall, you know, enhancement that they're able to make is going to help him. It's going to make his job easier. It's going to make this whole process, this whole system that they're trying to put together, this culture run a lot smoothly. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's no, it's no coincidence that they talk about smooth, uh, spoon. You know what I'm saying? Um, and Fred Vincent, you know, it's just, and for a guy like him, there are other coaches that could have came in and said, you know what, I, listen, I know what Fred's done. I know what school, I want, I want my people. I want, I want handpicked people. No, he was able to listen, observe, see, and then make, you know, and make, make his own assessments and trust these people. Uh, you know, um. It's just I really like what they're doing in a lot of different detailed ways. And some of them I didn't even think about until we're having this discussion right now. So, um, yeah. This has just been a greater accountability. And I think that that accountability comes because, of, like you said, there's this level of trust. I think Stan's error, and you see this in, in the comments that Josh Hart has made, that, um, that J.J. made on his way out and things like that, I think Stan's error was that, he was trying to push all the accountability in in one day. You know, it felt like he wanted them to grow up in, in like right now. And they weren't ready to do that. And they weren't ready to hear how he was doing it, right or wrong. You know, we weren't there for all the discussions, so I don't want to relitigate Stan. But it didn't work. And that's what we have to deal with. It didn't work. And so with Willie, it just seems like, yeah, he came in and he's not asking anybody to do more than they are capable of. But he is asking that you do everything that you are capable of. And when I look at a guy like Jackson Hayes, that's where I see, you know, this demand as a push and a pull. Because for Jax, he's consistently saying, just give me what I'm asking you to give me. And you'll have a stretch of three games like you got where Jax was looking real good again. And everybody's falling in love. And then yesterday he's a complete non-factor against Toronto in a game where he should have been one. When the Pelicans got beat on the glass, you know, in a game where he, there were offensive opportunities for him to finish at the rim, he didn't get a wait. Went one for three from the field. That that so cannot happen. Grub. 
It cannot happen. Just the Raptors. The Raptors come out with so many different lineups, but nobody on the floor is taller than 6'8". I mean, I, you know, Siakam 6'9"? Okay. He, is he? <laughs> Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. Boucher six Maybe. eight. He's a bunch of yeah. Maybe. But Ananobi is six eight. It's no. There's no. But they're lengthy and athletic. But that should be Jackson's sure. playground. Don't don't. Next. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so we talk about this. The third part was the was Zion, and I think Zion and the second part go so much together because this roster was built for Zion, but it wasn't built to weather the absence of Zion. You didn't – the biggest issues that fans have had with this team are the same ones that have been there for three years now. You don't have a backup point guard that you can count on and run your offense. And we've seen that this offense grind to a halt whenever Brandon Ingram is not on the floor and sometimes with him because nobody can get him the basketball. Or you don't have a secondary front court player who can consistently get you rebounds. You're reliant on your guards to finish off possessions for you. And that has hurt the Pelicans in late game situations. It's helped them with rim, hurt them with rim protection. It's hurt them with finishing with second chances at the at the at the basket. David Griffin is at the point where he's going to have to make a choice very soon. Is there, in your mind, I have my thoughts, but I'm gonna let you go first. And there is there in your mind, do you think that there needs to be a major move, um, or? Is this a move that that during the season there's a lesser move or moves that could be made to keep this thing going? Um, so here's here's why I'm at, and I'm I'm acceptable to a bunch of different scenarios. Um, I'm acceptable to a bunch of different talent. Um, but I'll say this: I think that given where you are at right now, and given the teams that are around you. And, all the different, you know, the, the different rosters and just um, the uncertainty involved around the people that are, you know, that are with you from 10 down to, I think, what, 14 in the Western Conference. You can make an argument that the Pelicans have an opportunity where they are right now at, at, at making the play. If Brandon Ingram, Jonas, Herb, and a few other guys stay on the floor. So if you look at it that way, you don't have to make a you don't have to make a big um, you know a big change. I think I think with Brandon healthy, they're like a five hundred basketball team, or somewhere around there. Like you know, uh, over these last twenty games or so, essentially they're a yeah. five hundred basketball team. So I mean, if you're five hundred the rest of the way in the West right now, that might like you know if you continue on that in that stretch, we don't know how that may end up um, affecting you, right? And we don't know what's up with Zion, but I think at some point you have to they have to continue. And Josh talked about it, that they are attacking this year. Like they won't see Zion. And that's the way, that's the way to approach it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, the best I equated to, to like a long jail sentence, you know, but if you continue to count the day, you know, day by day, you're going to drive yourself nuts. You have to, you have to, you have to center yourself in what's in front of you, you know? Um, and I think that, that, that approach them being able to be because to me that's when things started to turn for them as well like no this is what we have we have to make the best of the situation if time is time like we're done we're done making excuses we're done talking about who's not here what's not here this is what we have all right josh listen the ball's gonna be in your hands more what are you gonna do with it you see a better passer you see someone who's finishing better at the rim you see you you, you see a guy who's making better decisions for the team brandon's decision making has been phenomenal 
for a guy who has struggled sometimes with bad decision making and turnovers, not just in the clutch, but you know, throughout periods of you know of of the basketball game, for a guy of his talent that would make you you know make you scratch your head, he's not doing. He's not turning the ball over. Um, I mean, he's doing really really well, limiting himself a game, zero turnovers, one, two. Like it's just it's not coming in bunches for him. Um, you know, we've seen Jonas and his ability to carry a game if they need be, but it can't all fall on him. So, um, and similar, similar to Jonas, Devontae Graham is going to help them. The good, the good thing about this team is that we've seen a bunch of different guys come in and help them win basketball games. We've seen the Devontae Graham game. We've seen the Garrett Temple game, as you know, we talked about the Jonas game. Brandon Ingram has been has been steady throughout this realization of this is who I am. And this is how I get to what I need to get to help this team win. Not just, not just my own individual growth, but this team, which is awesome. But um, I think that there are multiple ways that you can end up making this team better. If you can end up getting hell, Corey Joseph can make this team better. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that a small, um, because considering that we talked about this team is built around Zion, can you afford to make a, you know, to make a large, um, a large impact, you know, a large move, whether it be for, you know, a guy who brings in, you know, um, you know, a large usage responsibility or large salary implications on someone that you may not see play with, play with your quote unquote franchise player until next year. I don't know if you can do it, but from a value perspective, if you can end up getting getting a guy like CJ or you can get a guy, um, you know, who's in a bad situation, maybe like De'Aaron Fox, I wouldn't be necessarily against it if it makes sense. And you're not having to um, you're not having to break the bank, you know, and you feel as if that's going to not just put this team. It has to be beyond the plane for something mm-hmm. like, you know, for something like that. It can't just be just to get us in the plane. It can't just be just to hold us over until such and such comes back because you're already right there. But there's another part of me that understands that people aren't walking to New Orleans. And at some point, if you can end up um, capitalizing on getting a talent that maybe you may not be able to get in the offseason, if you can do it and you can make upgrades, because I think they need they need multiple upgrades. And you, and you mentioned it. They're going they need another guard and they need another big man. If you have an opportunity to do it, then cool. Do it now. Um, but I am, um, while I'm open to, you know, to a bunch of different, different scenarios, I mean, day in and day out, my, uh, my mindset necessarily changes. I guess that I have to see, you know, exactly um, who's really out there and truthfully attainable and what it's going to cost to get such players. Uh, because I don't believe that you end up, I mean, the rosters are already bare. So if you have to end up putting out bodies right now to where you're not having no no disrespect to Gary Clark, who was who, who has played well in his in his time. But if you have to trade multiple bodies that you don't have to bring in someone that's going to take another transition and you don't even know if it fits with number one. I don't know if you can necessarily afford to do it, you know, so. um, I think that um, if there's a scenario on board to where you can get a moderate upgrade at the point guard position at the center position i think you definitely do it but if there is also in the other on the other side of the coin if you can get a 
clear upgrade in your backcourt, mainly, specifically, you can end up taking advantage of it right now versus having to wait um, until the offseason? Sure, go for that as well. I'm about making this team better. And however you can do it from a talent perspective, I don't care if it's a small move. I don't care if it's a big move. But it's all about the value that you're returning and what you're shipping out. We don't want to make some. We don't want to make a move to save David Griffin's job just to be the tenth seed. Right. If you if you make that move, no, you climb. You show you show that you can climb higher than that. Let's put yeah. Brandon Ingram. Yeah, 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 yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, because uh, you know that is my main issue with with, with trying to acquire De'Aaron Fox. You know, mm-hmm. I look at De'Aaron Fox, and it's there's no doubt he has talent. It's just weird because people, you know, I hear people and I see people tweet stuff like, well, he was a winner everywhere except before he got to Sacramento. High school and college. You know what I mean? Like, like that doesn't that doesn't phase me. You know, we don't talk. You can't talk about where people were winners. All we can talk about is what they've done in the NBA. San Francisco, Sacramento has not been elevated by his presence. He is mm-hmm. talented. That is for sure. But there are big flaws to his game. He does not shoot the ball well from distance. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get as many mid-range opportunities as he has, and I don't think he would get those with the Pelicans, the way that that offense is constructed. There are guys who are going to be in that area. Mm-hmm. If he's going to attack the rim, he still gives you doesn't give you a ton of size at that, at that position. He's a guy who relies on his speed primarily. That's not necessarily what this team is being built around now as I watch it. I'm looking at a team that is being built not to run, but to play crisp methodical you know much more like not you know it's not about speed it's about precision with this group and -hmm. i think that fox is a guy who's going to need tempo and you throw in the fact that he's going to get 30 million plus for a long period of time you're going to jump him past brandon ingram on the salary scale you got zion if you're if you talk if you're making this move you're making it in conjunction with keeping zion you don't make this if you don't know that you're keeping Mm -hmm. zion it seems to me because Fox and Ingram don't make you a playoff team. Mm-hmm. So if you're if no. you're doing that, you need all you want all three of those guys together, and you have to pay Zion in a year or so. What and you, you may have Jonas on a decent deal, but what have you given up? Because you have not much on your bench right now. This is a mm-hmm. thin bench team. So if you've given up your assets on your bench, if you give up all of your bench to pay a guy $30 million and he's going to give you 20 points and shoot 30% from three. And he's not a great defender, which is still something you need to find in your backcourt, an on-ball defender, that, because Herb's going to be switching pre- predominantly to threes and fours as he yep. goes forward in his career. He's not going to be playing ones every night. You want him on those twos and threes and fours. So it, it just seems to be his fit is less, that there are guys that who have shorter contracts. Like you said, you could, when you talk about a guy, like if you could somehow finagle a Fred Van Vliet and get him a guy who's on a short deal, getting paid realistic money. And if he comes in and he gives you a boost this year and next, and you know, and you can, and it works out and you can sign to a long-term deal. That's great. If it doesn't work out, he's Fred Van Vliet. I can flip him to another team that's going to want him and I'll get an asset back. De'Aaron Fox at 30 million. If he comes in and it fails, where do you go with that $30 million of bad player or player that's now on his second team that didn't succeed for you. And like you said, you're making a commitment to a guy before you've ever seen what this current group looks like that you built around Zion Williamson. 
and I and and you know, and I understand that line of thinking. I mean, I'm um, I am just, I am openly and accepting of the fact that I am irresponsibly willing to add a high talented guard. And those names all sound good to me. <laughs> 30 mil is a lot. I like CJ. CJ McCullough that. makes sense too. And you, we've been talking about yeah. CJ and CJ makes sense because now Portland is in a position to make a fire sale justifiably because you say, look, Dame is done for the year. If you shut it down, you can trade Dame and nobody feels bad. You can trade CJ and nobody feels bad. We're tearing it down. If you give them, Jacks, Nikhil, number ones, and say, look, we're giving you opportunity because now we're ready to make our jump into legitimacy. You give us CJ, a guy who can run the point for you and play off the ball. We know that is solid in the pick and roll, is a better on ball defender than Dame Lillard. Let's just be real. Dame don't really care about that deep. And yeah. you know, coming in, CJ will lead. But he is not going to usurp, he's not going to suck all the air out of the building. Yeah. You still have room for Brandon to grow as a leader. You still have room if Zion gets healthy and those things for him to grow. And you have Jonas there as another veteran. These are two guys who've been in the league relatively the same amount of time as your bookends on the floor. You slide back at Devontae Graham into his role as a sixth man. You've gotten rid of Nikhil in his erratic play. CJ balances out your backcourt in ways that that I think that even, you know, even De'Aaron Fox does not, because I feel real confident in the fourth quarter letting CJ play with the ball or off it and get me shots or have Brandon get him shots. I don't know if De'Aaron Fox is going to find my guys in comfortable spots to shoot late in the game. And look, you know, I I mean, part of this is just um, having the the need. Um, just, you know, just watching the failures of the backcourt, you know, over the past few years from um, from just a consistency standpoint. Right now. Um, I understand fit individual, you know, what you're bringing in as an individual salary cost and what you ha- and what you have to ship out to get said thing definitely matters. But I am tired of watching Thomas Sadoransky, bro. OK, and look now, now I. Fit-wise, and I said I said this on the spaces. If I had to pick between De'Aaron Fox and C.J. McCollum or Fred Van Fleet, I'm taking those two because I know immediately day one what to expect from them. They're guys that that have been in this league that have played with a bunch of with with various players. They played in various roles off the bench. They played. I mean, there's a there's a different grind that's in play. They they know how to play on the ball, off the ball. First guy in the um you know in um in the setup secondary in some cases third guy right because there's some nights in portland over the years where Nurkic and, and dame have had a two-man game going mm-hmm. to where cj kind of slides off and plays more of a more of a spot up and he's react he's more reactionary than a guy that's creating or a guy who i need buckets i need you to carry this offense right now i know how to do it oh and i need you for for a period of time to get someone else involved those guys all fit which is one reason why a lot of the fan base has been in love with the idea of Malcolm Brogdon, who can't be traded this year, but guys like that, who has, you know, who have multiple ways to infect the team. You just know mentally from a basketball perspective. Oh, I see how he fits right away. Because listen, this is Brandon Ingram's show right now. You don't want to disrupt what he's doing. 
You do not want to disrupt his, you know. So I understand the pushback on De'Aaron Fox. I do. He's going to come but, in and want to establish himself again because De'Aaron Fox has something to prove whenever he leaves Sacramento. It's like, well, I'm not a loser. And that's a that's a tough – the Pelicans are just trying to get out of that mentality themselves yeah. of having – you don't have to prove that. You play that. And that's the thing that I worry about with him. It's just it's, – it's not – again, and people are going to say, well, you think you're too good for De'Aaron Fox? That's the thing you always get in the conversation. And I see that people are like, oh, y'all 15 and the others, you're too good. No, it's not about too good. It's, it's all about opportunity cost. This doesn't happen in abstract. You don't just add a player and it just works. You don't just put their talent and their stats in and just add it to the mix, and that's how it goes. These are human beings, and this is a chemistry set, and you are always tinkering with it. I ain't gonna lie to you, Grub. I, I listen. You you make a lot of good points. I'm, but I'm also I'm guilty of, you know, two K building somewhat in my mind because I, I I sit up here and think you know part of me thinks that. You know, you don't get the opportunity to bring in and, you know, you know, you know, we talked about who I would rather have. But if you can get if there's a if there's a trade that makes sense in which you come out, you know, as a winner for a guy like De'Aaron Fox, if I'm sitting here thinking, OK, I trust I'm going to I'm going to put the onus on Willie or on partially on Willie Green for a period of time. My my quote unquote core is going to be a De'Aaron Fox, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Jonas and Herb. If that's what I'm if that's what I'm picturing if that's what I'm putting on I can get with that personally even now this is before my basketball logic mind has to come in here this this is the this is the fan and in, in, in my heart and play of me desperately desperately wanted to upgrade what the functionality of my guard position right periods just the functionality to where I know these guys know how to dribble the basketball but they run in their periods and act like well they don't know how they act like they can't beat half-court, full-court presses, and we saw this dating back to preseason. They act like a boxing one is being thrown at Brandon Ingram, and guys, they forget and act like they don't know how to be guards and play with the basketball or play without. It drives me insane. But, but I'm doing my best to keep my basketball hat on it during this process, and I will agree with you. If I had to pick between De'Aaron Fox or Fred Van Fleet, or CJ McCollum. Those two guys fit. They fit seamlessly. CJ is probably the more, in my mind, the more attainable one, and the one in which you get um, – because I, I think Portland lost all leverage, and they should have traded CJ years ago. Yeah, they lost I think leverage. they're three years late. They're three years late on, on, yeah. on moving CJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dating back, dating back to when um, – what was that year? The, year? the year that they went to the Western Conference Finals, they beat Denver and they go they go against Golden State. That offseason, move him now. That should have been it, because that was the peak. They were they were not gonna get any better than that group. Uh, if they didn't get past it, and they got what it was five games, it was a gentleman's sweep, I believe, in that series. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it um that team had, had plateaued then. And I think you you look at a guy like CJ, the thing too, his ability to, to keep moving, you know, the thing that JJ brought that ability to move through screens, get to the, get to spots and find those open shots. You see it so much with the Pelicans because you don't have guys who are used to being moving without the basketball. You don't have a lot of those guys on this roster who move without the basketball. So CJ can give you that with the ball in his hands, 
off the ball, running around, creating other opportunities for people because you have to deal with him coming around those screens. You have to know where he is because he can pull up in the mid-range. He can go to the basket, and he is – his point guard skills are far underrated. When he's, when he's had to play the point and Dame's been out, he's been a very effective point guard. And that's the thing is you don't need him to be the primary ball handler because you've built this where – Zion and B.I. are your primary ball handlers and other guys are, are facilitators. But if you add a C.J. McCollum and you know he can give you 23 points every night, he's going to shoot 40 percent from three. He's going to defend. He's going to lead. And that part, too, is as you continue to develop this culture, you have to balance this out with guys who have won something as you bring up these guys who are trying to win something. At least C.J. knows he knows what the grind involves. You keep, it's hard to take guys from losing situations and bring them all together and all of a sudden they win. Where does that happen? You know, that doesn't, that doesn't really occur. I want to go through this one thing, Chris, because this is my theory on, on building teams. Listen. So in my mind, there are four tiers in your roster. Okay. Every team establishes its core. That's two or three guys on every roster. You take your core, we're building around these guys. Then you have your vital role players. And that's about four guys. Then you have your level of interchangeable parts of people that, hey, you like what they do, but, you know, hey, they're here. one-year contract, two-year contract, you have no real commitment to them, but they fill mm-hmm. a, a job. And then you have on the bottom two or three long-range young players that you have on your roster. You're hoping they turn into something. When you look at this Pelicans roster, you say the core, and this is the part that has to be established. And, you know, we've had this conversation where I talk about the Bucks decided on who their core was. The, the Suns decided on who their core was. And that's then you start building around that. The Pelicans' core is missing its third piece because we don't know if Zion Williamson at this point is that third part of the core. That right there to me is the biggest thing that has to happen in this season is that coming out of it, whether they make the playoffs or not, whether they make the play-in or not, Ultimately, they have to decide whether or not Zion Williams is a core piece going forward. And Zion has to decide if he is a core piece going forward. And that's what's so interesting, which is why I don't I don't understand. I couldn't or can't understand any type of uh, thought process of shutting him down uh, for this year. No, if you can if you can find a way without without further jeopardizing his health, even if you get 20 games out of this man. You need, you desperately need to see him with this core. They need to see something, especially if you're telling me if 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 Antonio Daniels hops in hops into the spaces and, and basically tells me that Trey that Zion is is the key that opens up Trey Murphy's door, okay? For what he is right now, if that's what you're telling me for guys like that, right? If you're telling me the impact that he's going to have on so many different guys around this team. And you're telling me he's that level of individual and we're watching the improvements of people in his absence. And we believe that guys like Herb Jones are, you know, they possess the amount of flexibility um, and just, you know, the overall, the ability to fit no matter who's around them, just playing basketball, a guy like Josh Harden, we believe that those guys are able to do those things you need to see Zion play, even if it's for, even if it's for 20 games. Because, I mean, you know, we don't want to be in another situation where we're doing what we did all, all offseason, putting so much of the team's potential 
in his availability in his overall impact. So yes, if there is any opportunity for you to see him play without recklessly um, jeopardizing that man's health, then you have to end up seeing it because you don't know what it's like. I, I mean, and that's what makes some of it frustrating through, through, through the spaces and through a lot of the conversations because you look at, and some of it's a blessing because, okay, what, if Zion isn't, if Zion is healthy, there's not, there's a chance that you don't see this Herb Jones. Well, I guarantee you, you don't see it. I guarantee you. Especially not from an offensive perspective. Because he wouldn't get the minutes. He never would have gotten the minutes. Exactly. So there's some blessings that come, some great blessings that come from this. Herb Jones' development, especially offensively, especially him him bringing Alabama confidence offensively with the ball in his hand, improving as a shooter. He's had the the looks and the reps to be able to take advantage of, of what is a confident, stoic dude, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, very, very similar. When we're talking about demeanor, not too high, not too, you know, not too high, not too low. Head coach, same way, mm-hmm. right? Um, Brandon Ingram's overall development, being even if he's not a number one, if he's not going to lead your franchise, he's showing the improvements mentally and physically that he's made towards, well, this is what I feel, this is what I'm able to do if I'm put in this situation, which has been big for him. You know, um, so yeah, you get those. You get what you've been able to see out of Jones and some of these other guys. But the end of the day, Zion, now that we see where they've been at, 500 team, whatever, whatever the case may be, maybe they, you know, they're a little bit over, over 500 or over a certain period of time as time continues to go. Well, now you're telling me that Zion Williamson should be take, should be able to take you to a different level. Absolutely. Now you're talking mid in the West, above that. If he is that guy. You need to know relatively soon because you got guys playing the best basketball of their career. And you can't waste it. Let's see what this turns into. And, and you, I mean, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying you have to – because if Zion is not committed or is unable to, to be available physically going forward, if, it, if we just find out he's going to miss another year, you know, if that, that comes up and they say we got to do another surgery, he's going to be out a longer time, then – Look, then, then that does impact the way I look at the rest of this roster and what I'm willing to do with these guys. Because as yeah. much as I may want to wait around to see Trey Murphy then, if I know Zion's not around and his game can only be unlocked with Zion, well, now I need to include Trey Murphy quite possibly in a deal to get me another player. Because yeah. I need somebody to replace the skills that I do not have available to me with Zion Williams. And it's not about one guy replacing Zion. It's about finding multiple guys to replace the things that he does, the rebounding, the 20 points per game, the passing. you got to find multiple people to do that job. And if trade becomes the piece then, because Zion's not going to be around, then so be it. But all of those things will now change my evaluation as a front office as to whether or not Zion Williamson is really going to be a part of this. And that, I think, is when people talk about the concern of adding the wrong person to the mix today. It's not about elevating the talent. What it's about is messing up the evaluation process for a number of players who may or may not be back or should or should not be back next season. You know, if I can't figure that out, because, again, seven, seven or eight guys on your roster in the NBA are likely to change every season, every season. So the Pelicans have to make those decisions because this is a team, legitimately speaking, with six quality basketball players that they yeah. can count on night to night, and that's, again, without Zion Williamson, six, six, and they're still competing 
at the level that they're competing at. More wins over above 500 teams than the Lakers. You know, like, yeah. like, let's be serious. They've gotten some wins over some above. Look, we know the Warriors weren't the Warriors the other night. Willie Green knows the Warriors weren't the Warriors overnight the other night. But that win counts in the ledger. That win counts in the ledger. So you take – and those same Warriors, we've seen them underman beat the mess out of some people. Yep. So, I mean, you take these wins in the NBA where you can get them. I will say this, on a night-to-night basis, when the Pelicans do lose, at least what you're not looking at is these utter collapses now. It, it, it's, it doesn't look like they're – you see what they're not capable of. And that's because they don't have the talent to do certain right. But it's the level of play, the quality of it, the play, the intensity that they bring on a night-to-night basis. They're not turning the ball over in bunches like we used to see. They're not making a lot of the boneheaded mistakes that we saw in the past. It's just that you have guys who are in roles that they can't fill. And that goes back to to the talent acquisition. So the question becomes, do you trust a guy who struggles and has essentially made one good draft pick in his time there, hasn't made an in-season trade that's been impactful for this team yet in his three, two plus seasons. Do you trust him to mess with this mix during the year and end up winning that deal, not giving away too much and making the deal that's going to put you in position to win in two years? Cause it's still not a year away. You're still two years away legitimately from being the team that you think you're going to be. You know, and, and, and look, um, I think good good basketball organizations or good 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 organizations period like they can identify what part of their of their structure and setup needs needs a calculated risk and what doesn't right um and you know I look at it like this you know you mentioned what the team has missed over the past 3 years you know, they, they haven't had many in case of, right, players, situations, right? They haven't had much like that. That that glass emergency case has been empty, you know, for years. And look, certain teams are, have been able to get away with it, and that's fine, right? But it doesn't mean that – it doesn't mean that that's the right way to do it, right? You know, in theory, it makes sense why you added – it it makes sense from a player profile what you thought you were you were adding Thomas Sadoraski and Garrett Temple and Trey Murphy and these guys for you thought number one was going to be healthy and out there because you say okay I'm going to add smart Devontae Graham I'm going to add what I believe smart players that are going to take care of the basketball that are not going to make uh, mistakes that are going to kill me and that know their role in place in the NBA on top of, okay, I think Devontae, you know, you know, Devontae is going to be able to set up our offense at higher levels, you know, or higher ranges in the pick and roll between him and Zion. It's going to be really nice. I believe he can pull up, he, you know, as a spot-up shooter and a, and, a, and a pull-up shooter, he's going to be able to help here. You think Sadoransky and Temple, off-ball off players, guys that have been tested, have been around the league as secondary um and uh and and beyond creators when when they are forced to have to break down teams you thought you were going to be able to get it you know and believe and i believe it as well trey murphy trey murphy's going to be a sniper in this league you saw him as a as a guy you know, you know, I'm up on trey. Going. You yeah, know i like trey yeah it's just 
yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, and mentally, and mentally, it's going to it's going to click. I believe everything that people say about him. They don't. They haven't lost confidence in him. I don't think he has either. That's going. I'm not concerned about him at all. So I got it all. I got exactly what they were trying to do. And maybe, and you know, Willie, I kind of get the sense that what we're seeing from Josh Hart, they saw they had a plan for this already. They had a plan for this already. And that's one reason he was in the starting lineup in the beginning when some of us were like, huh, Josh has started? Because they knew what they would, the, the added level of ball handling responsibility. They saw enough to say, all right, we're going to give you this and we trust you to be able to do it. So I get it all. I understand it. But in hindsight, or even, even at the time, it's a lot of responsibility put on one guy, two guys, three guys. Because now you look back at, man, Thaddeus Young would have been nice. Man, you know, Laurie Marketing would have been nice. Some of these other guys that can do multiple Man, even we talked about you. those veterans that we talked about in the offseason, like grabbing an Ish Smith, and people were like, why are you trying to uh, grab JaVale Ish McGee. Smith? And I'm like, yeah, JaVale McGee, who signed in Phoenix for $2 million. If the Pelicans, had, the Pelicans had five to offer, you know, just yeah. at least see. And that's filling out those roles. That's what the Pelicans needed so much was just guys who filled roles. They didn't need to Phoenix. Keep, They've made too many bets. It's just there are mm-hmm. too many bets, and, and none of them look like sure things outside of Herb right now. Not one look of your draft Phoenix. picks looks like a sure thing. And mm-hmm. Phoenix, they drafted to their profile. The guys that yep. they went out and got a Cam Johnson, they said, we need a big guy to shoot. That's all they asked Cam to do his rookie year, and now he's come back and he's been a much improved guy in his second year. Mikhail Bridges, they knew what they had, a guy who could defend, and then he started expanding his game. It's the same way as Herb. That's why I say they're very similar, not the exact same game, but that similarity. They know what to do when they don't have the basketball. They defend multiple positions. They can shoot the three fairly decently, though Mikhail shooting it up, what, 40% above 40% mm-hmm. now? But that's, you'd say, this is our guy. And then with Booker, you had, this is our elite scorer, we, but we know he has some deficiencies maybe as a defender. We need to put better defenders around him. You go get a, a, a Jay Crawford. You go get you a Chris Paul to handle the offense. And then your bench is filled with guys like Frank Kaminsky, JaVale McKee. Keep going. You know, reclamation. Alfred Payton, a reclamation project who you signed for one year because you don't need more than that out of him. The same mm-hmm. thing when you get you you get a guy in um, what's your boy, uh, campaign, campaign who, who had been off of four other teams and you reclaim him and say, dude, here's what we need you to do. He buys in. And becomes a dependable backup point guard. But you ain't asking Landry him to Schmidt. win nothing for you. Landry Schmidt, yeah. you have one role. When you come in, shoot the rock. If you ain't shooting it, you're going to sit down. And then they still, you get a Jalen Smith. They draft him. They don't know what they got. They say, oh, we got no choice. COVID done made us play you. Kid comes out and he's averaging 16 and 7, shooting 60% from the floor. So that confidence of knowing that you have drafted guys who are competent in their roles and that you can put them in and then you go get veterans who you know, there is no surprise when Jay Crawford takes the floor. There's no surprise that when, when you saw the Suns and they're getting guys during that winning streak, it had what, eight guys averaging double figures. Eight guys, they get Bismack Biombo and they say, do this, <laughs> do this, screen and roll. And he's getting 14 a night just off screen and roll. Milwaukee. That's what, that's what you say, competent leadership when you go get guys you you know exactly what you're buying and you plug it into that spot and you don't ask them to do anything else because that's what veterans in the nba that's why they get to year 10 year 11 is because they have done the same thing 
That's why JaVale McGee keep getting on the going to the finals is because he's doing the same <laughs> thing every night and nobody's complaining about it because you know what you're going to get. And I think that's the thing with the Pelicans. You got too many guys who you have no idea what you're going to get from them. You're hoping you get something. And the biggest transgressor that now is Nikhil. And I feel like my hopes for his future last night when he dribbled the ball for like 15, 15 seconds and then does a step back three when Ingram is right to his left with nobody guard with uh with Fred Van Vliet in front of him. And it's like you have no court awareness. You have no he there are so many nights when Nikhil leads the team in shot attempts. There's no reason, not a single night that exists that Nikhil should be leading his team in shotting at shot attempts unless Brandon and uh, Jonas have both gotten a bunch of free throw attempts, which offset their jump shots. But you see Nikhil getting 19, 20 shots in a game and 11 of them are three-pointers. And you know when that didn't happen, when he was playing big minutes for this team, when he was starting last year, Zion Williamson was out there. Like, you know, um, and it, 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 it goes back to your point and what we talked about, about, you know, you have to, you know, you have to be sure and established in not only your core, but that your core is committed because Milwaukee, we talked about things, but Milwaukee's perfect, perfect example. Once you figure out it's going to be Giannis and it's going to be Chris, boom, it makes it just ideally like you with Drew. We knew, we, we knew exactly where he fit coming in there. And even if you fail on a few guys, that's okay. You fail, you might fail on this guy. You know, Greg Monroe doesn't work at a few a, after a few years. Jabari Parker doesn't work. Okay, you know what? Fine, we'll go pay Brooke Lopez. We'll go pay Brooke Lopez. All right, we'll go Bobby Portis. Yeah, Bobby Portis. It's working, right? Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton. Yeah. Grayson Allen. Yeah. Brent Forbes last year. You know, on it goes on and on and on because you know, in these two guys, this is what I have now. This is what I need. White Dante, DiVincenzo. It just the the people, the players, the fits, they all complement each other. And even when crisis when crisis strikes, and even though okay, you don't have a Drew Holiday, and Brooklyn's playing playing pretty good basketball, right? And they're they're feeling good about themselves. And Kyrie just came back, and okay, he's not he's not playing home games, but that's not what the odds makers thought. Okay, everybody thought without Drew Holiday and with that roster, pretty much pretty much depleted, Brooklyn was going to win that game. No. Okay. Other guys from Milwaukee will step up. Guys, guys you maybe haven't heard of, you know, uh, uh, Norora or just, I mean, it's a, just, it continues. Next man up is for real with this team and with this roster. Guys feel like they can come, they can step right up and feel comfortable in what they, and what they need to do because they know their role. They know, they, they know, that, oh, okay, you're playing this guy's role. Drew isn't here. We can't replace Drew. But this is what we can do. Um, so New Orleans has to has to figure that out. And I think that some of the pieces are getting there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I more and more, you know, it, as we have this conversation, yeah, you're definitely going to have to make sure that you know what this core needs to be, what it is, and that all sides are committed because then – you can build the hopefully you can build the roster better for when tragedy does strike because Phoenix ain't missing a beat even if even if Devin Booker's out the next guy will come on in you know and if and if it has to be on Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden, that's fine because you have so many other other guys can come in and don't have to overcompensate and that's the issue with this team is that sometimes is that because of the the lack of talent guys 
all overcompensating. A guy like Nikhil, who has to feel, who after coming off of a of a season last year, we didn't have to do too much when the team was upright. He feels like he has to do much, and he has a bad the temptation that's right there available for him to do too much. And a coach that's going to empower him to shoot and play his game that puts the team in tough situations sometimes. But if you add consistent, you add if Thomas Adaransky isn't clogging up minutes and you have a better, a better guy there that can that can calm things down and be a real, real guard presence. Jackson Hayes, you know, I, I mean, just think about how the how the team played played better for that portion of time and what they weren't giving minutes to Jackson. They put Willie Hernan Gomez there, who like Billy, but Billy's nothing but a role player. Jackson, yeah, he's a replaceable yeah. role player. But you know what to expect out of him every night, and that by itself upgrades everything. Because guess what? When I when I go into work every day, I feel a lot better when I know, oh, this person's here because I know exactly what I'm getting out of him or her or whatever the case may be because it makes my job. I know exactly why I need to fill in. But if I'm doing your job and his job on top of my own mental battles, that's an inconsistency that will that will pop in unless I'm a superstar, Brandon, such and such, or I have certain certain gifts that allow me to go beyond that. Um, Look, you have. I'm gonna say this real quick because we're running out of time. But I want yeah. this. I think this is a good comparison too. When you look at the problem in Atlanta after what mm. they did in the playoffs last season, remember the ownership said we can't keep everybody. We we can't. But they did. They brought everybody back. Yeah. And I think and you see the complaints from guys like John Collins and from Kevin Herter and from this guy and that Cam Reddish, whomever, it's a lot of confusion over roles mm-hmm. because they didn't decide. The Hawks tried to have it both ways. They didn't want to make a decision and they felt it would make itself for them, that they would get to a point the season where the guy's value would be enough that they could start moving guys on. They thought they would get off to a great start. And if they could make that, somebody would make the decision for them, for them to trade. Now they're not in that and everybody's unhappy. You have to decide as a front office, you cannot raise a whole family of kids. You know, that's my thing is you cannot raise in sports, a whole family, particularly in basketball, a whole family of kids. You got to decide which ones you really love. And the other ones you got to send to their grandma or whomever else. You got to put or leave them on a, the, the fire station doorstep. Whatever you got to do, because you just can't do it. And, and, and I think, you know, people look at the Warriors. The Warriors tried that. They tried to bring in a bunch of dudes, bring in a bunch of cats. There's a reason Kelly Oubre went from – you notice that Kelly Oubre went from Phoenix to Golden State over to Charlotte. Very mm-hmm. similar philosophies in Phoenix and Golden State. They don't need guys who you can't count on and who are not thinking basketball players. That's Kelly Oubre. That's why he's over there. They had all those young guys in, 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 in Golden State, got rid of them, brought in the vets again, went out and got the yeah. guys that they knew. You know, people talk, oh, Kevin Looney's young. Kevin Looney started on the championship team. What are you talking about? Kevin Looney's mm-hmm. been there. He's that guy that I'm talking about, your long-range guys. Kevin Looney was that. So that's why he's still there. But the majority of those guys that they brought back, veteran guys who they knew they could count on, or a guy like a Gary Payton, and you say, just be an athlete, dude. They don't ask him to do anything but defend, run to your spots. The same with uh, Jordan Poole. Get to your spot and take a shot. Is The ball's going to find you. So the, it's not like the Warriors did some kind of magic with their roster. And they stuck with their core guys. They waited on Clay like they've done, and it should pay off for them in some regard. But they didn't decide we're going to go full youth to get back to what we are. They've invested in solid veterans. 
of different degrees in their career. And the Pelicans just have too many guys. That's ultimately the thing. There's so many variables for the Pelicans on a night-to-night basis. And we talk about their margin for error being so thin. It's thin because you have no idea from players 7 through 15 what you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. And that weighs on the players. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, we have to I – mean, we talked about the human aspect of it. Like, I hear people, and I, and I read it, man, like, when Jordan Poole has a really good game, like, man, like, I wish – like, Nikhil is what I thought Jordan Poole would be. And it's like <laughs> – like, Jordan – you just mentioned Jordan Poole's role, right? But even when Jordan Poole has a bad game, consistently it's not impacting whether or not they lose the game. Right. The game is in hell. He can he can enhance their chances and he may slightly decrease their chances, but it's not going to fall on him because his role doesn't his role doesn't change. And there's so many other guys around him there and their roster is deep enough to where even if Jordan Poole out of if Jordan Poole isn't having a you know a good game of fine. Guess what? Otto Porter can come in and give me something. And nobody right? was clamoring for Otto Porter this offseason. Nobody, nobody was rushing to get Otto Porter. Nobody, but you know what to expect. We've learned what Damian, who who Damian Lee is, okay? We know what, what they want of him. That's fine. You know what you're going to get out of your, you know, out of your superstar. You bring in uh, uh, Valenza, right? You know, um, who's playing, who's playing really good basketball. But again, you know what to expect of him. Nikhil, we don't, not only, not only did the team want him to make a jump, and, you know, and a lot of us, uh, a lot of well, I, I bought into the belief just just based off the mental the mental aspect the summer he came off of um you know international ball and just the you know watching watching him in phases last year and his overall talent but it looks like a guy that has too much going on like he knows that I have a lot expected of me it's not they just don't have me out there wanting to go out there and score no my team doesn't have a bunch of creators in the in the backcourt Right. We don't have a bunch of guys who can who can create for themselves and others. So sometimes I get caught in between of doing those things. OK. And on top of the fact, I'm very talented and I can and I have the access to be able to shoot some of these shots that maybe I shouldn't. But I'm one of the only guys on the team who can do it. OK. So I think um, even even that being even that existing, which is another reason why Zion matters and up in improving his roster to where if I'm not sharing the floor with guys who aren't giving me much all the onus isn't on me to feel like i have to do this and that's why i think you see some of these up, ups and downs and inconsistency drills with Nikhil because some of it he's he's out here in lineups in which i have to make these plays i feel like i have to do these things and bro sometimes you don't no like i think the talk about his bag was the worst thing that happened to him you know people <laughs> talk about, oh he got all this and i've tried to explain it to, to people at different times look the best players yeah, they got a bag, but they wait. There are very few opportunities when they go into it. They do the same. The great players go into the same move all the time. They're saying, like, there's a reason guys have signature moves because they go, they get to their spots. That's the greatness of an athlete. They are efficient. When you get to that point, Kevin Durant, but nobody's like, every once in a while when you see it and you see, oh, KD went behind the back and took a step to the right and pulled up. With, he doesn't do that every time down. He ain't got to waste his energy doing that every time down. Jamal Crawford, the reason that he's Jay Crossover, yes, he got the handles, but he didn't have to do that seven times a game. Nikhil is doing that when he ain't got to. He's going into the bag and trying to find stuff to make you go, ooh, 
when dude, all you had to do was catch it, pump fake, take a step to the right, and knock down the shot. But you had to put it in on the floor and do this and go right and come back left. And it's not necessary. And the keel just, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter if you got in your bag and you can't get to the one thing that you need in it. You know what I mean? He's grabbing bar. My man grabbing wrenches and hammers and chain. You know, it's like, <laughs> and all you needed, bro, was a screwdriver. That's all you needed things, was a screwdriver. Things have to be simplified. Like, like he's he's going to serve you best, especially right now. He's still he's still learning about himself. Still a young, still a young dude. Still learning about his place in the league, what he can do, what he can't do. Things are best, and they're best served for him when they, when when his role is simplified. When it's in question, when guys, you know, you know, when the team is missing a few guys, and and he has open access to everything. It's not good for him right now on this team with this talent base, with this current this current core that's available out there. There's some nights, you know, where you know, I mean, we thought that you know the kid would be the third guy in the you know in the pecking order. But yeah, the talent is there, but you know, the overall understanding, and we and we realized that that you know the overall understanding of basketball maturity and you know the ability to you know kind of disengage from temptation isn't there just yet. So. The simpler things can be for Nikhil, the overall, I think, better. And that's, you know, um, you know, we fell in love with, or I fell in love with what he did during that stretch. And it wasn't a, a, a strong, a large sample size, but I fell in love with just the overall basketball player that he was being a guy who had to pick a spot where he was going to be in on the floor when Brandon and Zion was out there. He was going to have to be third, fourth guy in, a, you know, in, um, in the offense and react off of that. If you can get that guy, I think you got something there, but unfortunately, that's just not that's not what they what they need of him, night. Because sometimes the team needs a spark, in which he's one of the only guys who, from a talent perspective, can get it for you. So they have to upgrade some of these other positions and areas and add more more players that can that can do more for you. To where I think mentally he can be a little bit more relaxed and not feel like so much has to be done on him. Because still a young guy, man. Um, I don't know if it's gonna happen in New Orleans for him. You know, but, um, you know, hopefully the front office can make some moves to where guys like him, because I, I am a believer. If you ask me, am I, am I picking between Jackson and Nikhil going forward? I'm taking Nikhil all the time. Oh, I take Nikhil. Yeah, yeah. I think just yeah. Nikhil's problem is he just got to – it's like breathe, brother. You know what yeah. i just like breathe. He, he, he does not understand how to allow the game to come to him. He doesn't get it. And that's the part. For Jax, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. You know, for Jax, it's, a, it's awareness, it's attention to detail, it's physicality. It's a, it's a lot of things time. going on. But for Nikhil, it just seems like you can see it in his eyes at times that he's not processing the information fast enough or it's going too fast. It's like it's on speed and everything's going super quick. He doesn't slow his body down to, to just make the move. It's like he's, his whole body is working all the time. And it's like Nikhil, it can't you can't be burning that energy, dude. You gotta slow it down. Take a take a key for BI. Take a key for BI. Just watch that efficiency. Because even even the great scores who use their quickness in there, it, it's about showing it in a burst. The reason Tim Hardaway's crossover, the reason AI's crossover, the reason Kyrie can get to the paint, it's not because of the speed they start at. It's the ability to change those speeds up and go shift from low to high gear and back down quickly. Nikhil goes to high gear, and he can't come back. 
That's the one yeah. thing for him is he cannot pull it back. And uh, it, hopefully he gets it. But this is a business, too. And ultimately, like we said, you cannot be tied down. You can't love everybody on the roster. Yeah. You can't do it. So it's yeah. really going to be ultimately right now it's B.I. is a keeper. Jonas is a keeper because, again, it's not just about the people who are like, oh, Jonas ain't all that. It's about the amount of money you're paying him and what do you have anybody that you can go do who does what he does. You don't. So he's a keeper right now. So it's B.I., Jonas, Herb, because you ain't you ain't moving that boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ain't going nowhere with Herb. And, On but that everybody, too, you know? Everybody else outside, of, even as much as you like Devontae, if something comes along that's going to make this team better, then I'm, Devontae's contract is going to get moved. It's just that's how it is. If Josh Hart, Josh Hart is not a barrier to keeping me from another player. Ultimately, if it's the right move, am I looking to move Josh Hart? No, I'm not. Am I looking to move Devontae Graham today? No, I'm not. But if the call comes in and I know that I'm getting better because of it, like you said at the beginning, the only three guys right now that I'm saying, it, you have to do a little bit better than that if you call me, Jonas or B.I. Fair enough. Um, you know, and that was that was definitely, you know, an, an interesting, you know, we had a conversation about, you know, about Josh uh, in, in one of our recent spaces. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I echo those sentiments. Listen, I love Josh. I love, I've, I've been a fan of the mind the game and, you know, the overall just energy and spirit of Josh Hart since the minute that he got traded to the board. So trust me, I want someone who wants to be here, you know, and, and, and who is happy and who is enjoying playing basketball again, just like the next person. But at the end of the day, is he a part of your core? And I think as much as we've been in love with his individual success, growth, especially this year and just the old, you know, how important he's been to this particular team, they are still 14 and 26. And if you have to trade Josh Hart to make a meaningful addition, not saying I'm looking to trade him, not saying I, I, I don't value what he brings, not saying that, you know, that he can't get even better. If you have an opportunity for the guy, and I keep having to remind people, when, when Nas was in, was in damn at Rucker Park with Styles P and them, giving, giving everybody in New York buckets, Okay, going to the juice bar afterwards when nobody thinking about Josh. Everybody was ready to ship his ass off. Okay, now now he's playing well, and Najee can't come anywhere close to wait to 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 what we saw from him last year with Tumbley, whatever the case may be. Now everybody wants to act like Josh isn't tradable. Let's remember where we just were a few months ago. If you can, if you as much as I want Josh to be a part of this team, and he's the type of people, the type of person that is on every winning team, in my opinion. Um. But if you can upgrade this roster and he has to be a part of it, he is not falling to that Jonas, that B.I., what we hope to be, you know, of Zion, Herb Jones category for multiple reasons. And, I mean, that just is what it is. It just is. Like I said, mean, <laughs> outside of your core, and every team operates this way, outside of your core, everybody's expendable. Outside of your core, everybody is expendable. And that, again... There are tiers to that. That's why I say there's a tier. My vital role players, there's a certain level of phone call I need from you. For my guys who are my interchangeable bench guys, there's a call. That, look, if somebody called right now and offered you a freezy pop for Najee Marshall, you're probably taking the freezy pop because the freezy pop going to give you more enjoyment than what Najee is giving you right now. That's because right now he's in the interchangeable part tier. 
He is not in the the, 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 the good role player tier. And your long range guys, that's where you find a Trey Murphy. He's in the long range right now. Yeah. He's, you're not expecting him to start this year. You're likely not expecting him to start next year. So he's in the long range pile. He's got a chance to prove himself. But again, if somebody comes along, and especially if Zion says, I really don't want to be in New Orleans. I'm ready to go. It just hasn't worked. Let's all cut our losses, and I'm on my way. Then Trey is somebody that I'm not necessarily invested in keeping him because now I've got to win. I don't have the luxury of having Zion Williamson to, to hold the, the, the dogs at bay if I'm David Griffin or if I'm uh, 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 the Benson family and you're trying to figure this out. You got to win some games. Trey Murphy not going to be the thing that holds me back from winning some games, man. It just, you can't love everybody. And I know New Orleanians and New Orleans fans are conditioned to love their players. I get it. But the game don't work that way. It just doesn't. The minute you fall in love with players is the minute they break your heart. Either they want to go or the team's going to send them away, one or the other. And it's not, and, and you know, um, one of the, which, and it's a big reason that I'm happy that you know, the engagement is where it's at right now. And, you, you know, you're getting new fans, you know, new blood into the system, you know, into this core and this fan base is because, you know, so many of them come from being fans of the Saints and how football operates, how football rosters and cultures and setups are put to, you know, are orchestrated. And basketball ain't that it don't it don't work the same. Right. It's not 53 players. Right. It's not. It's not, you know, uh, Drew Brees going out and and, throw, and breaking a and breaking a record and still losing a game, right? You know, um, it's so much that can be taken, that can be controlled by the, you know, the absence or the um, availability of one guy. You know, I mean, you know, we're talking a roster of twelve to fifteen, you know, fifteen people, man, eighty-two games. It's it's it's, just, it's different. So I'm happy. And I'm hoping um, that this this um, this emerges continues because I mean it makes it makes for really good engagement, but it, but it, it, most importantly, it makes for better understanding um, and just you know just just the overall the overall education of this process, man. Look, we love you know we love our players. We love our players to remind us of the city and remind us of us. But again, you can't hold on to everybody. And in basketball, the roster sports, you know, the roster sports do not compare to how they do in football. To where that third guy that's on that, that's you know your call Grandisons of the world that's on that, that's your defensive end. At some point, you are gonna have to lean on that brother. It just and he's going to have to put. He's gonna have. He's gonna be able to give you you know shiny spots for multiple parts of the of the game of the season. Just don't it, 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 it don't work that way consistently in the NBA. It just doesn't. You can't lose. You can't lose the, the amount of star power, the equivalent of what the Saints lost, um, you know, in the NBA, no. and think you're gonna finish above 500. No, like you said, no. the individual has far more impact, and, and their presence or absence, as you said, you know, it just no. And, and Zion Williamson, you, you know, this team's record would be somewhat. You, you, you know, you know, I don't know. If, like you say, I don't know if this is a winning team. I doubt it is because I think they still go through a bunch of struggles and there are a bunch of holes in this roster still. But they would have been better. Right. Zion Williamson is on the floor. That's just that's a fact. Um, and this team is just it's not, it doesn't have enough. And in the NBA, there are a lot of people who don't have enough. And there's a lot of people looking to acquire. Now, look at this season. Let me talk about there's 30 teams in the NBA. 
And right now, 26 of them at least, 25, 24, 25 of them think they got a shot How at many the playoffs. Yeah. At the playoffs. And so if you are selling, who are you selling to? Because when people talk about Sacramento, you know, with De'Aaron Fox, Sacramento's going to sell to, to a team that's behind them in the standings to potentially watch the Pelicans go past them with a fan base that's already upset about the fact that they haven't been to the playoffs since before the iPhone. <laughs> you feel me? Can you go back? If you're the Sacramento Kings, tell, just tell honestly, you fired your coach this year already. You've been through this mess with, the, with, with COVID. And then you tell me you're going to give away your franchise player to a team that you're, that's behind you in the standings. And, and you're going to just let that team go past you. There's no way, there's no way Sacramento could justify that. There's no way a GM could keep his job doing that. So those things too, people have to understand just because a guy's unhappy, you got to look at situations and where, where are, who else is going to be bidding for stuff? Cause you always hear the Lakers involved, the Lakers involved in this. Well, if they're going to, and they will try to get somebody, it's going to be a three-team deal because they don't have any assets to give anybody. The mm-hmm. Pelicans don't aren't in a position to go in and demand anything from anybody because whatever they're giving away right now is purely speculative. Whatever talent yeah. you, that they're willing to give away and still be in competition for that 10th speed is a bunch of guys like Nikhil or Jax or Trey or Najee or whatever or, or Billy or whomever who are not going to, you, you are not going to be major difference makers, so you're giving away picks. And if you're giving away picks, fine, but it better be for something legitimate. Don't give it away for no stop gaps. Don't give away your picks for stop gaps. No. Yeah, and 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 you know that that's why um, I think that that's a if you look at Sacramento's situation, that's why they're linked to players. They've been repeatedly linked to players like Ben Simmons. It's like okay, if we are going to trade De'Aaron Fox. If we are going to consider trading, you know, a Halliburton, we need a guy like that we need at least i have some semblance of understanding of where he ranks in this league and the type of excitement that he can bring back if i am moving out a guy like garrett or i'm moving out you know a halliburton who's improving who may be a big part of of our future um that's very important to you know to look at what the situation is well um it's fun to speculate and you know it's fun to think about what you can offer and it's you know you know we you know, as fans, you know, as observers, and I, I'm always in the mind of a fan because it's what I, it's, it's what I am. It's what I it's what I grew up being. Um, I always keep that close to me. You know, uh, my perspective is always that it's common for fans to devalue or or you know um, to an extreme in in an extreme category the assets of others and overvalue their own. Right? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That's just that's just the reality of the situation. We always have to, you know, have to keep that in mind and look at the signs in which, you know, people are telling you like, look, like, look, Ben Simmons, for those in New Orleans, you know, who wants Ben, you know, who want Ben Simmons. Like the reason I keep talking, you know, we I talked about CJ, you know, today, you know, and, you know, you know, my man J-Dub and others. Hi, because like that's that's a reality. But every chance Philadelphia gets a chance to tell. And this is before even talking about how Ben will work in New Orleans and, you know, in, in the past or whatever. But every chance Philadelphia and Daryl Moore gets to tell you what they want for Ben, they tell you a top 25 player. There's Even not a single Pelicans player on their list uh, that, that you could give away. The only player they would ask for is Brandon Ingram. And you ain't right. going to give them Brandon Ingram. Right. So not for Ben Simmons anyway. I certainly That's wouldn't. That's the reality. So you have nothing to get Ben Simmons with. 
You have nothing yeah. to get Benson because you're not giving them Jonas. They don't want that. They're, you're not giving them Devontae. They don't need another small guard. That's not what they're looking for. So, yeah, you, you have nothing. Do you really legitimately have what that team wants? Do you really have – just because you think that they'd be a good fit for you, they don't necessarily <laughs> want to work with you, you know, in, yeah. in the reverse. But it, it's going to be very interesting. There's going to be a lot of plates moving over the next few weeks as we get to close to the trade deadline. Um, you know, I, my thing is, like, I'm like you with Zion as far as if he's if he's there at the end of the year, that's a bonus. But I think that this team has to just continue to play it's, it's, it, what it is unless they're – Unless that magic bullet deal comes through, and I doubt that that comes. I just, I just don't see that that deal is going to be on the table. Um, and just the history of the league tells you that the Pelicans are not going to be the team that that, that has the, the piece that's going to grab you the piece this season, the, the guy who's out there who could change people's fortunes. It's much more likely, and you're in a better position this offseason, when you know what your draft pick is that you could trade that, you know what the Lakers draft pick is going to look like, whatever that is, you know what these other things are, you know which players you're not going to want going into next year, and you make that decision and you and you know what Zion's situation realistically is. Because whatever happens at the end of this year, you're going to have an understanding of what's going forward with Zion. You know, that that has to occur in April or May of this of, of this year. And, and I think that to make any of those decisions otherwise, no, it's not about enjoying – 14 and 26. Ain't nobody enjoying 14 right. and 26. But it's not as dire, relatively speaking, as we started at the beginning of this. Position-wise, 14 and 26 ain't as bad as it looks. So, yeah, live with that. If you could get in at 10 and not make a move this year, if you could get in, is the fan base going to be mad? Because what else were you expecting? This right. is No matter what, a healthy Zion wasn't going to give you a top-five team in the West. So if you get into the 10 with this group, hey, you call that a win. You call that a win. That's all. That's all. Brother, um, I love doing this with you. Uh, we went about 35 more minutes than I thought we would, but you killed it. Yeah, I enjoyed man. it. It was it was a great conversation. Man, man, you know, anytime, man, talking basketball, it just, you know, goes into so many different pockets and um, you know, you know, I can do it. I can do it all day. So it's always a good time, man. You know, you know, I, I showed you love earlier because I will always be uh, indebted and appreciated to the uh, the opportunities you've given me on this platform and throughout others. And yeah, man. So anytime, you know, whenever you know you want me on, I will make time for it and we'll do it. So it's always good, bro. So I appreciate it, OG. Yeah, y'all know you follow Matt Impatient Bull on Twitter, um, and then of course check out the spaces after every Pelicans game. He's right there running the show. And, of course, uh, also with the bird rights, we both drop our stuff there from time to time. So check that out as well. Um, until the next time, I'll be back on Wednesday with the Dome Patrol with Ross Jackson. We'll knock that one out and recap the same season. But until then, this has been Hard to Paint with David Grubb and my man Chris Connor. We'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.